Marvelites, you're listening to Marvel's Pull List, and I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. We have an awesome episode for you this week. We are going to have on Alyssa Wong, writer of the brand new Star Wars Dr. Afra series. We're going to be talking with her about her work on the new book, as well as running through Dr. Afra's first appearance in Darth Vader number three, as well as the first six issues of the Dr. Afra series from 2016 and 2017. Uh, but before we do that, Tucker, I'm feeling real good. We've got some new digital comics. You like that? Like the little... <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, uh, was real digital. Oh, Ryan, you know what? So this is something that I'm just reminded of. This is something you and I have been uh, kicking around. Uh, a new, we're going to coin it. We're going to trademark it. Digital heads. Yeah, digital heads. All you digital heads out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, we got, uh, we got new comics coming digitally this week. I want I want a, a T-shirt that says Marvel's pull us with our logo and says in big letters I'm a digital head. Uh, our producer Jorge says Digiheads. Well, he's just a child raised on Digimon and and he's out of control. Yeah. Let's get into the new comics for all the digital heads out there. Uh, first up, we've got 2020 Force Works number three, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Juan and Ramirez, colors by Federico Blee and Guerrero FX, with letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, this issue, you got War Machine, Mockingbird, Quake, and U.S. Agent teaming up with the baddest sweet boy in the world, Modok. That's right, they're teaming up with Modok versus giant robot Ultimo and some messed up death-locked people. That's a good time, if you ask me. I mean, that's a lot of fun. There's a page in this issue that everybody knows my love of Modok. You will know the joy it brought me when I see it. Hopefully it brings you that same joy. It is wonderful and weird and it is big and stupid in the best way possible uh, it's, this issue it's like big battles and you got ar- arguments and shenanigans and and like good vibes around this non-team it's a uh, it's a lot of fun and this is the last part of this three issue limited series all right awesome stuff next up we also have avengers of the wastelands number five it's written by ed brisson with art by jonas scharf colors by niraj manan and letters by vcs Corey pettit this features Doom versus the Avengers, but of the Wastelands, of course. Um, it's one of those things, Ryan, that I just love to see because the Wastelands is one of my favorite settings for any kind of story. I love what Ed is doing here. Uh, I've said it before. I think this, that him writing this book is absolutely perfect casting. There's something about his love of this kind of pulpy landscape and all that it brings along with it. Just, I think, works so perfectly with his tone of voice and the way that he writes stories. So to have Doom vs. Avengers in here works so, so well. I, I really, I feel like it's one of those things that you could sub in any XYZ, anything, any character, any team, put it in this landscape, have Ed write it, have Jonas take care of the art, and I will just love it because it imbues it with this new energy with this new spirit here and uh with this team especially i think they're kind of purpose made to be um brutal but also so fun uh at the same time it's such a unique balance but i think it all comes off perfectly here yeah and plus it's it's a lot of dr doom being just doomtastic as he always is. All right, let's move on to Revenge of the Cosmic Ghost Rider number five, written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam with art by Scott Hepburn and colors by Antonio Fabella with letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, Frank, you're a ding dong. You're a ding dong, Frank. You're a fool. That's all I got to say about you. Uh, look, Cosmic Ghost Rider is mostly Cosmic Punisher uh, throughout the chunk of this issue, which, look, that's pretty fun. That's a good time. We get some, you know, like stuff straightened out uh we get a big new evil by the end of the book um there is you know one of those things i love that we get to do like we see our creators do in comics is like yeah they wrap up this story with a bow but they put things on the table and they say all right this character is now off over here or not available and we lost this and you, you feel something about this but there's so much potential to come back and figure out how and when and why. And yeah, it's cool. I'm trying to be very vague because I don't want to spoil it. But uh, if you've been following this cosmic Revenge of the Cosmic Ghost Rider story uh, and a lot of certain other cosmic things, you're going you're gonna to get a, a, a cool little touch at the end. I totally agree. And hey, speaking of books that have their very own tone, a very unique landscape, 
the Punisher and including being the creepiest dang things that I ever did see. Uh, <laughs> the next digital issue we have is Scream Curse of Carnage number six. It's written by Clay McLeod Chapman with art by Chris Muniam uh, and inks by LeBeau Underwood uh, with colors by Rain Barreto and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. With each passing issue of uh, of this book, I'm I'm waiting for the moment to breathe a little bit. Uh, I love the character work that's going on in here. I'm on the record as saying that it's a really awesome, uh, upside down kind of topsy turvy take on a classic Marvel character. But to get it here, where it's this weird body horror, scratchy, terrifying take on all of that, flips it upside down, and it makes. It's an it's a completely different kind of of uh, intrapersonal conflict, which I love. This issue, like I was saying, just ratchets things up to the nth degree, where I'm just so scared, and I'm like looking to hide in the shadows, um, <laughs> which is for me everything you want from a book like this. This is my favorite issue of the run so far. Like what you were talking about, it like keeps ramping up. And this one, if you've not read any of these Scream Curse of Carnage books. Like this one, you could jump into this, get a sense of what the book is, what the world is, what the characters are. I think this is, to me, sort of like the perfect way to start reading into this book because you also have the Punisher show up. So you have a touch point. Sandman shows up and it's a really cool like way that Sandman is used. There's some really gritty, grimy stuff. And reading this issue reminded me in like the best way possible of an awesome Ed Nascenti comic from the 80s or like a, like a grimy, nasty comic of the 90s. Not like, I'm extreme and I've got shoulder pads and patches and uh, pouches <laughs> and, and big guns and all that. It's like more just like, like ugh, I feel dirty. And like I like yeah. reading it, but like there's something... <laughs> I need to wash my hands now <laughs> after reading it, and, which is a good thing. Like you want to be, it evokes feelings. And I think this is a yeah. really cool issue of Scream. Agreed. And of course, uh, those are all digital, but we do have print collections in your local comic shop this week. So if you want to make a trip to your local comic shop, I am sure they will appreciate it. And if you need to find one, go to comicshoplocator.com. Tucker, what do we have in stores this week? This week, we have Astonishing X-Men by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy Omnibus uh, in hardcover. We also have Ghost Rider Volume 1. Speaking of Ed Brisson, we have uh, Mephisto Classic Trade Paperback. We have Sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne Omnibus. Spider-Man and Venom Double Trouble. Uh, Star Wars Darth Vader Poster Book, which is super exciting. The Amazing Mary Jane Volume 1, Down in Flames, Up in Smoke. A great book there from Leah Williams that we love so much. And then, of course, X-Men Volume 1. Yeah, I mean, X-Men, great if you've not been following along. And if you missed Spider-Man and Venom Double Trouble and you have a younger reader around, I can't stress this enough. That book is so much fun. It's something to give to any reader of all ages. You're going to get a kick out of it if you're an adult and you like fun, fun things. Uh, (laughs) But also, if you just want to share a good story with somebody, I'm telling you, Spider-Man and Venom Double Trouble. Check it out. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Those are your comics for this week. Uh, Before we get to Alyssa Wong, writer of Star Wars, Dr. Aphra, we're doing something fun. We're we're checking in on uh, some of our favorite friends who make the amazing comics that you read every week. Uh, So let's hear from one of the members of the Mighty Marvel Bullpen. Hello, I am Nick Lowe. I am an editor at Marvel Comics. I edit Amazing Spider-Man, some other Spider-Books, Runaways, Punisher Soviet, Black Cat, all kinds of crazy books. Anyway, what am I doing during this time of quarantine? I am doing some reading, you know, Immortal Hulk and X-Men, but I also love Ms. Marvel, Thor. I love Daniel Warren Johnson's work. I love Saga and, and Paper Girls, of course. Oh, the new Friday comic uh, by Marcos Martin and Ed Brubaker. Uh, as far as my home office, it is my bedroom. Um, we built a desk in here. I didn't I put together a desk. I didn't build it. I'm right next to my bed, and my dog uh, sleeps on it. He's a little uh, golden doodle named Tully. I think he's the cutest dog. I have three maniac children who destroy my house on a daily basis, and it makes me very happy because uh, they're the greatest. And I have no work-from-home expertise. I just try to, to make awesome comics. 
all the while I do it. I am always making iced tea. I'm an iced tea fanatic and uh, making onion dips of various kinds and eating them with chips. That is my quarantine drop for you. Make my marvel. You guys rule. Thank you, emergency workers and hospital workers and delivery people and all of you essential people. You're the best. See you soon. Bye-bye. All right. We are talking about Dr. Afra. Alyssa, thank you for joining us. We're so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. You are writing the new Star Wars Dr. Afra title. Um, it's very exciting. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I've been asked by numerous fans for years of like, how do I start making comics for Marvel? Um, and, and you've been at Marvel now for just a short period of time. So I, I like I think about this. You've got some really cool stories in Arrow and the Future Fight First, a Jubilee story. <laughs> and how did you get your writing gig with Marvel in these like recent times? Oh, man. Um it was actually pretty wild. Um, I, I do a lot of other stuff, um, and uh, mostly I write short stories. Um, you know, I'm pretty active on Twitter, and um, I've met a number of comics professionals through friends. And I was actually talking to Greg Peck, who uh, is a rock star. And uh, he texted me one day, and he was like, Hey, I read this short story that you wrote in an anthology. Um, it's uh, this story called Olivia's Table. Um, it's about a girl who uh, cooks a banquet for ghosts in the desert um, every year uh, for a ghost festival. So he was like, yeah, I read the story and I really liked it. And I'm looking for someone to co-write uh, these arrow and wave B stories. And uh, I really like the way you write about family. That's something I want to explore in these short stories. Um, do you want to co-write with me? And I was like, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was really cool uh, because wave was such a huge deal um, to me, at least, and to a lot of uh, other Filipino folks that I know. Um, and I think that I never saw any Filipino rep growing up. Um, I literally, I think I only knew like two Filipino kids, period, growing up. I'm, I'm from Arizona, hence the whole desert thing. Um, so, I mean, I know that it would have made a huge deal to me as a kid if I'd gotten to see Wave um, or read about Wave um, because it's already made a huge deal to me as an adult getting to see and read Wave. Um, so when Greg offered to co-write these stories with me, I was like, absolutely. Um, so that's that's how I started writing. I loved those stories and the <laughs> Agents of Atlas in general, like what has happened with that team, what Greg has done, what you've done over the past year or so has been truly one of my favorite things in the Marvel Universe across all the stuff that we read every week. When you're writing those stories, when you're finding like, okay, it's locked in, I'm working with Greg, we're doing this, I'm sitting down looking at a page or talking to Greg on the phone or whatever... How conscious of those qualities that Greg says, hey, I really love that you do this. I love that you do that. How conscious of you are you of those things when you're building into a story? Or are you just like, those are innately within me. They'll come out no matter what. I'm going to dive in and write a superhero story. I think it's a combination of both. Um, so when Greg and I are breaking story, we talk about what we want the story to be about, um, what you know, what thematically uh, we want to have in the story and, you know, how to build plot from there. Um, and of course, there are certain plot beats where we're like, I don't know, we want uh, the Sirenas to be a huge part of the story or um, what have we brought in um, Namor or whatever. But um, I think the heart of the story for me always comes back to themes and um Personally, I love stories about family. They can be very organic. Um, they can be really juicy. <laughs> Think about all the drama in families. Um, I, I, just, I just love all family stories, to be honest. You can get the heartwarming, you can get the devastating, you can get uh, gossipy, you can get weird. And I feel like even when a family that you're reading about looks very different from yours, I still feel like there's usually a thread that you can pull out and be like, oh, that's like me, or I've seen that before in some way. So um, that's a long way of saying. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some things that I, 
I think, I guess, are kind of innately in the way I tell story. Um, but in the sense that it's something that I'm very interested in exploring, um, no matter what the medium is. I mean, in addition to family stories, you're also working like three big fandoms, you know, Marvel, <laughs> Star Wars, Overwatch. <laughs> For you personally, what are your go-to fandoms? Are you just like living in the, the realms you're working in? Or is there something you just like dive into that is completely separate from this stuff? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, no, I mean... I'm a huge Overwatch fan, um, so when I got to work on Overwatch, it was crazy. Um, super stoked. It was one of those jobs where I didn't think I was going to get it, and then I did, and I was like, oh no, what do I do now? Um, <laughs> and it's been it's been really rewarding, but um, I'm not sure if this really counts. I guess in some ways it does. I've been playing a ton of Animal Crossing recently. <laughs> um, but I, I guess... Uh, one thing that I'm super stoked about right now that isn't Animal Crossing um, is The Wicked and the Divine. Mm. Uh, it's gorgeous. So it's absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Oof. Yeah, and Kieran Gillen is just, he's so good. It's deeply unfair. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, he's so good. The, the terrible part of it is Kieran and Jamie and Matthew, the three main creators for Wicked and Divine, are so nice. And so talented <laughs> and so, like, easy to talk to and approach. And then they make these gorgeous comics that are deeply, like, touching and weird and funny and disturbing. Man, I love those boys. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of Kieran Gillen, you know, Kieran's obviously, like, huge influence on everything that we're going to talk about today with Dr. Afra. Uh, Alyssa, what's your... What's your Star Wars history? What's your Star Wars um, like origin story? Where where did that come from, and what led you to be interested in in taking over like this incredible character? Well, uh, so my family has this feud going on, and it's going on as long as I can remember. Um, where my dad is a huge Trekkie, and his brother <laughs> is a huge Star Wars fan. Um, so I ended up watching a lot uh, growing up. Um, I, I mean, also, starting when I was very young, so I probably saw the freaking triple episode like 80,000 times at this point because they're like, <laughs> oh, it's cute. Here, have this, three-year-old. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, watched, uh, I watched the Star Wars movies when I was very young, um, and I was probably like, I don't know, maybe nine when episode one came out. Um, so I was all about pod racing. <laughs> um, and, and a little, uh, Jar Jar made me a little nervous, but that's, that's okay. Um, but, uh, for, <laughs> and I think I had, uh, some of those Star Wars books for kids when I was, when I was young too. Um, so it's always been like a presence in my life in that sense. But I started getting really invested when, uh, The Force Awakens came out. It was, it was dynamic, the script was fun. Um, it felt new and, and present. It felt like my Star Wars, as opposed to like my mm. uncle's Star Wars um, or anybody else's. Um, I also ended up reading a lot of um, Force Awakens uh, fanfic. <laughs> like a ton. There was like a, a fanfic bloom, like, a, like an algae bloom. Um, <laughs> So there was all this stuff to read, and um, it was a great way for me, at least, to stay invested in a fandom because there was always content coming out. I think that sort of reawakened my love for Star Wars. Nice. And it's, it's just been straight shooting from there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love hearing about the, like, those origin stories about Star Wars. I was thinking, you know, my daughter is eight months old now. My wife is a huge Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars. And uh, I'm sitting in my daughter's room and I realized we have this book, <laughs> which is uh, Vader's Little Princess book by Jeffrey Brown, who is one of my favorite cartoonists. And, you know, I, when you say, you know, this is my Star Wars, not my, you know, my uncle Star Wars, or whatever. Like, I think that's really cool that thinking about it in those terms, like every generation can have their Star Wars and their entry points. And it's really fun. And I think Afra, Dr. Afra Chelly is such an amazing character to really be a gateway for so many to find their Star Wars. 
Um, and um, Tucker, I'm, I'm taking the ball from you because Dr. Afro first appeared in Darth Vader number three, which came out March 25th, 2015, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Salvador La Roca, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, with an like now iconic cover by Adi Granov. Man, I... I, I didn't realize until we started talking and, and Alyssa, you know, we said, what do you want to talk about? And, and we came up with, hey, let's talk about the first, you know, arc and, and appearance of Dr. Afra, that she and the rest of the crew, her like Triple Zero and BT and their ship, the Archangel, all of that happens in issue number three of Darth Vader's ongoing series, which is right at the beginning of when we started doing Star Wars comics again. It was like... It made me so happy to remember that. I love it because to, to kind of, to the point of like the malleability of Star Wars, kind of how we were talking about before, I love the the genre influences um, that are clearly behind this character. And um, I think there are some things that are very, very, very Star Wars about um, Dr. Aphra, obviously in terms of the kind of roguish nature, in terms of like... Once you know, once we get into the the first you know arc of of the Doctor Afra uh, main series, the from twenty sixteen, um, you know you have that moment where at the very beginning uh, a character like kind of does something for uh, uh, Doctor Afra, and then she shoots him and just says like thanks, all right, cool, moving on, which is such a succinct <laughs> and very kind of very in the language of Star Wars, but I think. And Ryan, I, 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 when you and I got to go to Lucasfilm and talk to Matt Martin, that has become a, a more and more of a touchstone for me in terms of how I process reading these kinds of stories. Because um, I think what's so amazing about Star Wars isn't that it's necessarily like this perfect little kind of puzzle box where everything is kind of so perfectly laid out and it all relates to each other very beautifully. I love it because of how it can be a filter through which we get a bunch of different kinds of genre stories, and whether that is like an adventure kind of story or a, a more like a kid story or like, a, I don't know, like a courtroom drama, we can get it all. And so with this, it is so cool how early on in this character's trajectory we get the clarity of vision behind all of that. And Alyssa, when you're coming on board, when you're going back and like reading, uh, I'm sure like a bunch of reference material for this character, doing a, like doing all the kind of making sure you have it all super clear and everything like that, which is a huge task in and of itself. I don't even think I'm, I'm there and I'm a, a huge fan of the character. Um, what is your perspective on like, this is who this character is to me? Do you have, could you, could you, could you sum it up pretty clearly yeah i think um honestly that first that first uh appearance where she shoots the guy and says thanks uh yeah and uh that whole first arc is that's my biggest touchstone for afra um i think um she is <laughs> so I, <laughs> I i know there's that eternal question to which there is possibly only one right answer about whether or not han shot first um Han is only interesting to me if he shoots first. Um, and Afra always shoots first. Um, so I, I find that really fun. I think um, the fact that... Uh, <laughs> this is <laughs> it's so funny. I, I feel like I'm bringing it back to family stories again. But um, something I love about Afra, and I'm going to expand this to Afra's, is that um, Afra is a... She is genuinely a pretty terrible person, um, which makes her a ton of fun to write. Um, and her dad, who shows up in that first arc, um, who <laughs> sabotages her career um, so he can get her attention so that he can get her to help him, um, is he's a good person, I guess, but he similarly is very selfish and, and single-minded um, in his pursuits of what's interesting to him. And I like that that's something that they have in common. Um, although the father's like, oh, well, obviously I'm, I'm a good dude. And Afra's like, I, I'm clearly not a good dude. Um, and I also think that somehow, despite the fact that they are angled differently, they are very similar. Um, and it's, it's really nice to see two personalities who are very much like that. Um, one, see how that translates across generations, but two, um, see how they try to work together and against each other 
at the same time, with the added complication of, well, I care about you even though you hurt me. Well, yeah, yeah I, I love how all that comes to play in this in the first arc. Um, but before we even get there, I want to go back to that first appearance because there's I, I keep running around in my head sort of the 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 aspects of Afra about all the different things that are put into the character. And there's a line that I forgot about in Darth Vader number three, where um, she's got uh, she's being harangued by the like sort of museum people and they're taking the the weapon that she's been trying to steal and she yells it should be in an armory and it's like a reverse <laughs> indiana jones moment and i just got the biggest kick out of that it just felt so fun and sort of gives you such an easy way to be like oh this this character i i am on board for whatever she's gonna like lead us into it's also Mm-hmm. It's also just the pure fact that she's like standing toe to toe with Darth Vader, who is obviously such like a an, an easily definable thing, especially at, obviously at this era, like in in kind of the Star Wars continuity when we first meet Afra, where it's just like she's so confident and casual and just speaking so plainly, um, so quickly. It is. Uh, it's that exact thing. I think. It, I think it perfectly captures that kind of um, that f- like fly by the seat of your pants Star Wars fun. You know, no matter the drama, no matter the stakes, uh, it's kind of that encapsulated inside a character, which I think is is so cool. And um, what I'm super curious about is I don't know how intentional like the placement of this character in here was in order to be like a backdoor pilot towards like the huge success of that followed because maybe it's only obvious in hindsight because it's so incredible there it's so intriguing there's so much going on there that it it it, maybe if it was just done less successfully it wouldn't be this obvious and that's why it's so obvious because it's just so good but um i i just love digging into all that because i just think it's obvious from the first page. It really is. <laughs> well, I, th- I think um, I think one thing that Afra benefits from is uh, that she shows up as a side character in somebody else's comic first. Um, I personally love secondary characters, um, which is why I really jumped at the chance to build a, a new crew for Afra in this new run. Um, because I love secondary characters. They get the chance to be weird and fun and um, unpredictable in a way that is hard to capture um, from the start with a leading character. Um, your leading character wants something and um, your job is to throw complications at them. And I love for secondary characters to be those complications. So I feel like she really benefited from being able to be a complication from the very start. <laughs> I, I I love that you, you you call them complications because um, and I want to get into we'll get into the the new supporting cast in uh, your run a little bit later. I want to make sure we we touch upon the complications upon complications <laughs> that really are part of Afra's story because Triple Zero and BT eighty eight are just pure blissful like terror (laughs) throughout her entire arc throughout all the pages we see them in the darth vader issues and the dr afra issues they are wonderful um tucker real quick what who are triple zero and bt88 in case we have any listeners who don't know uh i don't know they're like uh How do I encapsulate it? They're um, they're evil R two D two and C three PO. I gave you the easiest dang thing in the world. Come on. Well, okay. <laughs> when you ask me a question like that, I'm immediately flooded with so many details that my brain kind of short circuits in that way. Because <laughs> um, because now that we've been we've been through so much with these characters, sure. but yeah, exactly. Which is so much fun. That moment when when uh, Trip kind of wakes up in that first appearance is so much fun, and it's just like. It's one of those things, to your point, Alyssa, where you're talking about these, these like, just the kind of opportunities for fun as we go along this journey. It's just like, of course we have to have this, like, these, like, 
bad droids. Of course we have to, because that's the most fun thing you can that you anyone could ever dream up. And it's nothing we've really seen before in, in such a central way, especially as we get going. So yeah, oh man. I I, I, I love it. I could talk about them for for days. Uh so throughout the Darth Vader story, she I mean Afro does what she does she gets into deep crap with vader she gets into crap with the rebels pretty much everyone she meets she eventually fakes her own death uh by you know seemingly to him being killed by vader to be able to get off on her own leading to her own ongoing series the interesting thing here is the time frame so she's introduced march 25th 2015 her series begins December 7th, 2016. And Tucker, you brought up like, oh, was this just a backdoor pilot? I don't think so. I feel like this was the most pure and genuine like creation, development, and uh, like explosion of love for a character that you really see in, in, in our fandoms, in Star Wars and Marvel. It's just like everybody was like, I love her. I want more of her please and thank you and 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 we were blessed with you know the ongoing star wars series doctor uh the the ongoing dr afro series when it launched in december 2016 it's written by kieran gillen art by kev walker colors by antonio fabela letters by joe caramagna our friend um and covers by kamon shirahama um i just gotta say and tucker you and i have talked about this many 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 times kev walker rules so friggin' hard he is just kind of the i the the wild thing is he's on no social media he has no presence like uh, a public presence he just delivers work that destroys me every time i look at it his big <laughs> weird gritty dirty 2000 ad brand of like cartooning and i very specifically mean he does this wonderful cartooning it's magnificent and his his facial expressions and his acting it's all so amazing to see every time he puts pencil to page it's it's so good oh this is my this has been my kev walker ted talk thank you (laughs) (laughs) um let's see you're talking about the supporting characters that you've been writing in 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 your run right now which i have to say i love uh obviously been reading for the show and all that kind of stuff issue number one was uh, so much fun, and really, I put like I put the, that new supporting cast uh, right up there with like top billing of why I loved it so much. This is a bit of a, an esoteric kind of nerdy question: when you're writing and when you're breaking a story, how do you design uh, the kind of supporting cast like that to emerge? Because obviously, the supporting cast in general throughout Doctor Afra's history has been such a crucial part of the puzzle. Um, in addition to being her origin story period, uh, do you say, okay, I have this idea for a character in mind and I'm going to lead the story to a place where I can pluck them out of the, the tapestry of the of the world? Or do you say, okay, Afra's going to end up in this place by design of the plot and, oh, maybe there's someone there that she meets. How, how do you go about bringing so many incredible supporting characters into your story? I think it's a bit of both. Um, it's, it's a bit of pushing forward and sort of reverse engineering. Um, so uh, for, for this new run, um, I knew that um, I needed Afra to have a new crew. Um, so I started uh, thinking about what kind of story I wanted to tell. Um, and uh, it was sort of like, here's, here's the arc I want to chase. Um, who do I think would be interesting to bring along? Um, you know... <laughs> talk to my editors. Uh, hey, what do you think would be really fun? Um, and uh, also, I have these crazy ideas. Like, what do you think about this? Um, and I'm eternally grateful um, to uh, Mark and Tom and the folks at Lucasfilm uh, who were like, yeah, you can write about academia. Sure, why not? Um, <laughs> so um, one of the things I did when I was pitching this first arc was um, I went back and I read all the Afro that was out and some of the Afro that wasn't out at the time. Um, and I think uh, everything up until issue like 36 or 37 was out. Um, and then I read scripts for the rest. Um, and I looked for hooks. Um, I was like, well, what do I find really interesting besides just Afra being an incredible, fascinating disaster? Um, <laughs> and... Um, what do I wish I'd gotten to see more of in, in the previous arc? And um, 
one of the things that came up was the Shadow University, um, which shows up in uh, the arc where um, everybody is bidding on the Crystal Roar. And I can't remember exactly which issue that is in, but there's like a contingent from the Shadow University. We never find out much more about them. It's like just a little bit. Um, and I was like, that's exciting. Because Afro is an archaeologist. Um, she uh, she got her doctorate. Um, and there's like a, a side story about, um, you know, her university days. It's, it's interesting. I was like, let's chase that. That's cool. So I thought, okay, academics, Shadow University, it buy, they buy uh, artifacts. What kind of cool artifact can we try to get? Who would have studied this artifact? Who is the person who comes to Afro and is like, hey, here's your lead? Or how does Afro like, find her own lead? So from there, I built outwards. There's um, Dedi Yao. She's an enthusiastic grad student, sweet, bubbly, but there's something dark under there. Like There's something wrong with Detta. And uh, there is the, the woman who Detta wishes were her thesis advisor, um, the <laughs> disgraced uh, professor uh, Eustacia Aka. Um, she's uh, been expelled from the Shadow University for insufficient, uh, credible academic research, um, studying uh, weird and shady things across the galaxy. I mean, I love rogue-type characters, um, so... Uh, there's a guy, uh, his name is Just Lucky. He's a sniper who works with Afra on and off. Sometimes they work together, sometimes they work against each other. They've tried to kill each other several times, but it's, it's business. Um, so they keep it professional. Um, <laughs> and um, of course, Black K. Um, my favorite, sorry, Chewy, my favorite Wookiee. Um, <laughs> he's, so, he's so giant. And um, I secretly love writing lines for him. Um, I know it's kind of weird, but um, when I was reading uh, through all the issues, I realized that he doesn't really have very many lines. Um, and I thought that that was kind of a... I was like, that sounds like it'd be fun to explore. Um, so yeah. And uh, Eustacia also has a BD unit. Um, and and from that, I started thinking about, like, here's my cast. Um, they're going after an artifact of some sort. Uh, who are they opposing? Um, who doesn't want them to get this artifact? Who wants this artifact? What kind of weird villain can I build? Because I also love villains. So uh, this arc's villain is uh, Ronan Tag, who is like the spoiled scion of uh, the Tag family. Um, so cool. Very rich intergalactic threat. And this guy's, uh, I mean, he's, He's handsome, he's spoiled, he's had, <laughs> he's had the world at his fingertips, and he loves to collect beautiful things so that nobody else can have them. And like, the thing that makes him really happy is to be the last person ever to touch something. So he collects them so no one can have them, and then he destroys them so that no one can ever touch them again. So I thought that, that, was, that he would be an interesting... Um, opponent and also i love writing jerks so you know it's great <laughs> <laughs> i have to ask do you name these characters is it the, is that a conversation because there is such a specific more than anything there's just such a specific rhythm to star wars character names <laughs> and i love it yeah um no i i um so i do name the characters but um i always ask for help um because naming is one of those things that I get very nervous about. Um, I'm like never convinced that I can come up with good names or good titles for things. <laughs> um, so I'm always like, hey, does this sound right? Does this sound like, does this sound Star Wars enough? Um, do you think that this name's really cool? Or is it kind of dumb? Like, what do you think? <laughs> um, but luckily everything's been okay so far. I'm trying to remember whose suggestion it was, whether it was Mark's or Tom's or some of the folks from Lucasfilm um, who suggested uh, bringing in uh, the tags as like potential villains. And I read up on them and I was like, yes, they're so cool. And they're so awful. They're perfect. <laughs> Going into like that locale, like you're doing and saying like, let's explore the relationships here. Let's explore the, the community that pre-exists you know what i mean and, and you're creating all of it but you 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 look at it in terms of a lineage obviously because they come through so fully formed 
I love that in, in, in looking at it in the same way about just like speaking of kind of the original trilogy. I love the like little society of generals and admirals in the Empire and just, you know, maybe characters have like one or two crucial scenes before they get like, uh, you know, like force choked over FaceTime by by Darth Vader <laughs> or something. Um, but it, you can just, I, I love reading into those moments. I love like Admiral Ozzel completely screwing up the attack on Hoth and um, immediately getting just owned for it. I love, um, uh, I love like Jerjerod, who is like, he's the guy at the start of uh, Return of the Jedi who... Um, is like totally freaked out at the idea of the emperor coming. I just love all of those little details so much. Um, and it's, I think it just speaks to the power of the narrative at, at large. And it's a similar thing about what really excites me about, um, about the, the new Dr. Afro book. Um, but then also as we're reading, um, the first arc of, of the Kieran Gillen, Kev Walker run, uh, uh, to see those little just drops, you know, just those little things that are just kind of left as the narrative's going along. And it's just like, it's there if somebody ever wants to pick it up. Um, uh, or it can just stay as is. The, the, I think that just really speaks to a, a powerful storytelling, and um, uh, yeah, in a similar way, um, it makes me so excited to to continue reading the new Afra. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I feel like for a world to feel really lived in, there has to be a lot of stuff in it. Um, like I don't know how to explain this, but I feel like there needs to be a lot of set dressing. Hmm. Um, like, you have to be able to walk into a room and feel like someone lives there and get an impression of who that person is, what kind of books they read, or are they messy? Do they leave clothes all over the floor? Um, and similarly, I, I feel like when you're building a world, you have to leave all those things around for other people to find, or else it's just going to feel super two-dimensional, like you built it just for a character to walk through. The trick is, maybe you did build it just for the character to walk through, right. but you can never give that indication ever that that's what it actually is for. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, let's dive back into the uh, the original run right now uh, because you know you have Black Crescenton in your book as one of the um, yes, Catherine. We love the big Wookiee. He's so mean. He's <laughs> so strong. She loves the Wookiee. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he's in here, and, and I love that like that little bit that bridges the the two series because he's uh, one of the the things. Um, he's just so much fun to to watch perform, and in this one, he beats up those uh, those those dudes who are in the concept art. I think it was for Rogue One. You remember that Tucker? I don't. Do they even show up in in Rogue One? I I, I they do, and I went back and looked. I was like. Where in the timeline, like when, what day did this book exactly come out? Like, <laughs> was that like out before the movie? Was that, I think it might have been like a couple weeks before the movie actually came out. So yeah, it, it was really cool to, to see those guys pop up. That's so good. And then, of course, this issue has the first appearance of Afro's dad, which is so important. We've, we've talked a lot about that. And this, this arc being sort of like, yes, it's, it's like them going on an adventure it's all this stuff and it is it's really what we've been talking about it is a very big family uh storyline but is also something of that like covers so much ground and so many different possible genres and and you know you've got everything that comes through this whether it's comedy or it's the weird sci-fi or it's you know adventure and and sort of that indiana jones vibe in the star wars world or just straight up star wars it's this series um, really like leads you through so much while still retaining its own identity and still having so much fun and then putting this really personal story at the heart of things. Um, It's so much fun to go back and read this. And when we get into issue number two, we get a little bit of that father daughter history that kind of gets sprinkled through this story and the entire series. Um, Will we see any more of her, you know, tidbits about her family or, or her past beyond um, the university stuff in your run, Alyssa? Um, that is a good question. And <laughs> the answer is I would love, and I mean super love, to explore more about her family. Um, 
Her dad is such a fun character, but we will definitely see more about her university past. Even just in this arc, and possibly, I don't know, maybe the next issue. Just saying. <laughs> I just want someone else to call her Little Boop, and then she, like, blasts <laughs> uh, Little Boop being the, the nickname that Afra's dad gave her, and it's just, you know... But, as a new father, I like make up all these silly little nicknames for my kid. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. I'm going to be calling her Kit Kat until she's, you know, 30. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. The other thing that I love is obviously the emergence of Captain Tolvan once they end up on Yavin 4. And then very quickly in issue number three, Captain Tolvan shows up. It's so fun to go back and see how completely... Uh, not apparent any sort of like romantic involvement was at the start of this. I mean, it is so cool. The arc of like all of these stories and all of, all of the work that's been done to kind of pull these two characters from polar opposites into like this super fascinating, amazing relationship that we have now um, where so much has, has gone on between these two. But as it starts, it's just like, oh, we just got to, oh, it's cool. Like a, an, an interesting looking kind of imperial officer character. And you don't really think about it much more than that. I think that's an amazing strength of like these stories going back again to the emergence of Afra herself and now into a character like this where it's just it things come out of the woodwork in such an organic way and it's really really incredible um to see like because again it seems so obvious from the beginning but you know it's a lot of the times it wasn't always you know meant that way or 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 even if you know if it hadn't been done as successfully as it's been done, it wouldn't have been so obvious. But for you, Alyssa, looking back at these issues and then kind of in, in your own research and your own writing, what are your thoughts on that relationship? How do you approach that kind of more like peer slash romantic side of of Afra's life? I love exes. I love bitter, <laughs> bitter exes. I mean. God, so good. I think that writing complicated past relationships is one of the coolest things that you can do, or at least it's definitely one of the coolest things I get to do. So, I mean, I love Tolvin. I think that there's a part as they're leaving her at the end of the first arc um, where um, Afra says something like, and it's probably not exactly this, but she says something like, yeah, I probably should have killed you, but you're cute. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's the hook right there. I think that when you're building something out, maybe Kieran had uh, always planned to have that as like the romantic relationship, the weird like how I met your mother moment. Um, <laughs> or um, if for whatever reason the plot had to go somewhere else, at least you have that hook uh, so you can pick it back up if you need it somewhere else. I think um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if it's if I think it's possible for for Afra to have had a relationship that she didn't royally mess up. Um, <laughs> and uh, Jerry currently says no, um, but, but we'll, we'll see as things go on. There's Tolvin, um, there's Son of Staros, and um, maybe there's someone in this arc, I'm just saying. <laughs> and I think uh, another thing I really love about Afra is, um, I mean, the fact that she's just a queer woman existing in this, like, really fun space, um, and that she's just there? Like, the narrative isn't about her wrestling with her sexuality or anything, which is a very common narrative, period. Um, she just is there. It's that moment where she gets back in the ship right after that, and her dad says, you have terrible taste of women, and she's like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I love that so much. And it, like, this is, you know, this is all in issue six, what we're talking about here. And, you know, Alyssa, I want to jump on the point where you're talking about the way Kieran writes her. I have, I grabbed a quote from Kieran that he, he had probably, you know, a year or so after this, as we start to actually see the romance come together. Uh, Kieran says, quote, I normally say Afra is a lesbian. I've never written her with any romantic interest in men. I've written her primarily romantically interested in women. I think that would be fair to say. Star Wars doesn't really have the terminology that we do either. One of the things we wrote inside the first arc was that homophobia, as we know it, doesn't really exist in the Star Wars universe. No one raises their eyebrow. No one seems surprised when it happens. It's just 
kind of something that's there. So the way that they process sexuality has got to be different anyway, and how they choose to identify as well, which is exactly what you're saying. And I think Kieran, just like that, that's just, it's life. It's, it, and really it's, you know, hopefully, you know, a long time ago, far, far away, it's just how it would be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's the ideal. You get to build out a world any way you want to. So why the hell not? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one of the ways that they build out the world in a different way, which I like this, and I think, Alyssa, this might speak to you as well, is in the, there's a scene in issue five, and jump back real quick, uh, where Aphra is looting the long dead Jedi corpses of their lightsabers. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, like her dad's like, what are you doing? She's like, I, I'm going to sell these, which I love that so much. It's just as a, a, a sense of who Aphra is, but also it's such a video game thing to me. And I love it so much. It's like, I play so many games where I'm like, I will loot every single corpse around me, even if it slows down my narrative, because this is what I'm doing. And it feels like, like Aphra plays into that a lot. I, I just, I find that so fun. Yeah. It's so good. It's so funny that you said that, Ryan, because that's exactly what I was thinking as well. You're much more of a gamer than I am. But I had the same exact <laughs> reading where it's just like, this is a scene straight out of a video game where you get like this cutscene and you get this history, you get this thing. And it's just like, it's so rich in character and in a backstory for the world. It's so, it's so awesome. And I gotta say, Alyssa, I mean, it leaves me very excited knowing your uh, background and your resume for uh, <laughs> kind of a, a similar, uh, similar vibe, a similar kind of journey with the character in that way. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm stoked. Um, I'm really stoked. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going to see more of the, you know, with, with her archaeology side and the university and all that stuff. And so one of the things we did not talk about in this arc was Immortal Rur or Eternal Rur, <laughs> depending on the uh, translation, who's such a cool idea, this like Jedi sort of offshoot who messed up in doing this weird experiment and transferred its consciousness into robot. And so you have this evil, evil thing and it's so fun and so weird and so star Wars. And it's just one little sort of like artifact and the potential thinking like I take that and I think about the potential for how that plays out throughout the star Wars universe and how that can play out in your adventures as we see, you know, Afra and her new crew getting involved and looking for different things and, and who knows what they get up into. Yeah. I'm, I'm really stoked. I love, um, I love immortal Roar and I love, um, how many weird spooky things exist in star Wars. Um, sometimes there are like, weird biological or technological uh, reasons. And sometimes it's just weird space magic. Cause why not? Honestly, doors are wide open. You can do all kinds of crazy stuff. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I got to give one more bit of love to Kev Walker. Uh, Cause in my reread of this issue number six of uh, Dr. Afra, as like things are falling apart as the Citadel is falling apart and Rur is like going crazy and everything is happening. The panels start breaking. He mm -hmm. changes the, the, like the way he structures panels. It's still completely like your eyes are guided where you need to. It's just such a smart storytelling decision to, instead of have very strict borders for the panels, you feel the chaos, you feel the un like the unsettling aspect of what Afra and her dad and the characters are going through. And it goes until everything is restored and it it affects you subconsciously i freaking love comic books you guys they're so great <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alyssa, in a similar way can you talk about your work so far with marika cresta because that, that the, the first issue is out now it looks incredible um how has that relationship and process been for you oh thank you uh yeah no it's been it's been great uh, marika is uh She's a great person to collaborate with. Um, I think uh, one of the things about writing comics and working on all these different projects is learning to work with different artists. Um, like everyone has a different process. Um, and one thing I love about Marika is uh, she is very fast and very responsive. She'll draw these incredible, amazing things that I, I mean, I'm not an artist, but 
I know, I'm like, I can't believe you managed to do this so quickly and so beautifully um, that I always feel really guilty giving her notes. I'm like, oh, well, what if, what if that, what if that design was like on the wall instead of on the ground? She's like, oh yeah, done. Boom. And uh, it's crazy. Um, and one thing I was concerned about before, you know, I actually started working with Marika or before I started working at all with, I would say in terms of the art side, um, was uh, one thing that I felt really strongly about is I really wanted to have like a handsome Southeast Asian character um, because again, growing up, I just never saw any Southeast Asian characters or not very many at all. Um, and I kind of wanted to see like a, a dashing cool Southeast Asian character. And um, I was like, I want to make sure that people can tell um, and um, I think that, you know, we all have our internal biases um, and it just happens. And sometimes, you know, you have to push, you know, it's like, can you, can you change these features a little bit? Can you do these things? And I always feel really like nervous about giving notes to artists. Cause I'm like, well, I don't, not an artist. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but, but I feel this thing very strongly. So uh, would you maybe consider doing this thing? Thing, maybe <laughs> and she's been awesome she's like she's got it so yeah I love working with her it's it's really crazy to think about the the that just skill set it just feels like a an entire other skill set um you know if a writer is coming from another medium or uh, uh or is you know a novelist or, or, or whatever it, it, it's a whole other way of thinking about things and I can't even imagine what a learning curve it could be for anybody in coming into to something like this and in terms of exactly like you're saying just like the the way to communicate these things the way to literally f format them and write them on the page and, and make that flow it's it's very fascinating to me on the art subject though i also absolutely have to shout out valentina Remenar's covers because mm -hmm. those things are insane some of my favorite covers across all marvel comics period right now so beautiful this kind of like very precise but also painterly style it's really exciting and like vibrant and feels like there's it, it really captures that spirit of adventure going on inside these books it's awesome mm -hmm. oh she's so good i feel very lucky um the whole team is amazing heck yeah all right Alyssa. one last request before we let you go um if you guys could find a way to incorporate Dr. Afra's really badass black leather jacket look that is uh, that oh, she's man. wearing at the end of Dr. Afra number six. Uh, it's yeah. just awesome. It's so good. And I was like, I, I don't remember her wearing that again, but I was like, that is the jam. That is the look of like Afra getting ready to like get into some crap. It's so fun. I mean, I love the hat. I love her tattoos look. Everything about her her like standard look, but like you know. You got an you know alternate costume. <laughs> I want the black leather jacket. If we could see yeah, that again, I'll think. I'll think <laughs> about it. No, you. That's great. Oh, such a good outfit. <laughs> Alyssa, thank you. This has been so great. <laughs> Thanks. I really appreciate it. It's been fun talking with you. Yeah, you too. Tucker, I feel like you just you just like gotten this Star Wars groove with her. The two of you just having a good time. I'm here sitting in my apartment, and I'm sweating. Not a joke. The window's open. It's a cool day out. It's not even hot out. I am I am drenched because of how, I guess, I don't know, I just guess I get real pumped up when talking about that kind of stuff. Didn't even realize it till now. <laughs> oh, boy. That got weird real quick, and I like it. We'll be back with another episode next week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, Ryan Panagos, and Tucker Marcus. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is actually uh, like a Wookiee. He's just yeah. shaven, small, he's diminutive. He needs glasses. The first Wookiee I've seen that wears eyeglasses. Yeah, um, but he smells like a Wookiee. We know that for sure. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.